Chapters Eleven and Twelve of the Pawn's Count by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Eleven. Nikasti, with a low bow, watched the disappearance of the lift into which his two new masters, James Van Tail and Oscar Fisher, had stepped. He waited until the indicator registered its safe arrival on the ground floor. Then he slowly retraced his steps along the corridor, entered the sitting-room, and took up the telephone receiver, which was still lying upon the table. "'Will you give me number seventy-seven? he asked. "'Miss Van Tail's suite.' There was a moment's silence, then a voice at the other end, to which he made obeisance. "'It is Miss Van Tail who speaks. I am Mr. Van Tail's valet. Mr. Van Tail is here now, and will be glad if you will come in.' He replaced the receiver, listened, and waited. In a few moments there was the sound of a light footstep outside. The door was opened, and Pamela entered. She was still wearing the grey tailor-made costume in which she had left the steamer. "'Why, where is Mr. Van Tail?' she asked, looking around the room. "'I have been ringing up for the last ten minutes, and couldn't get any answer. I did not realize that it was the next suite.' "'Mr. Van Tail is close at hand, madame,' Nicasti replied. "'If you will kindly be seated, I will fetch him.' "'How long have you been valet here?' Pamela asked curiously. "'For a few hours only, madame,' was the grave reply. "'If you will be so good as to wait.' He bowed low and left the room. Pamela took up an evening paper and for a few minutes buried herself in its contents. Then suddenly she held it away from her and listened. A queer and unaccountable impulse inspired her with a certain mistrust. There was no sound of movement in the adjoining bedchamber, nor any sign of her brother's presence. She opened the door and peered in. It was empty and in darkness. Then, moved by that same unaccountable impulse, she crossed the room and listened at the door which led into her own suite, and which she perceived was bolted on this side as well as her own. She listened at first idly, afterwards breathlessly. In a few moments she was convinced that her senses were not playing her false. Some one was moving stealthily about in her room, the key to which was even at that moment in her hand. She hastened to the door to be confronted by another surprise. The handle turned, but the door refused to open. She was locked in. Pamela was both generous and insistent in the manner of bells. She found four, and she rang them all together. The consequences were speedy, and in their way satisfactory. Nicosti himself, a breathless chambermaid, a hurt but dignified waiter, and the floor valet, who had not even stopped to put on his coat, entered together. They seemed a little stupefied at finding Pamela alone, and no sign of any disturbance. "'Why was I locked in here?' Pamela demanded indignantly, taking them in block. There was a little chorus of non-comprehension. Nikosti stepped forward, waved to the others to be silent, and bowed almost to the ground. "'It was a mistake easily to be understood, madame,' he explained. "'The handle is a little stiff, perhaps, but the door was not locked. We all reached here together, I myself barely a yard in advance. No key was used, and behold!' Pamela was disposed to argue, but a moment's reflection induced her to change her mind. This falsehood of Nikasti's was at least interesting. She waved the hotel servants away. "'I am sorry to have troubled you,' she said. I will remember it when I pay my bill. They took their leave, Nikasti showing them out. When the last had departed, 
he turned back to the center table from the other side of which pamela was watching him curiously i cannot imagine she remarked how i could have made such a mistake about the door i tried it twice or three times and it certainly seemed to me to be locked nikasti moved a step nearer towards her something of the servility of his manner had gone for the first time she looked at him closely appreciated the tense immobility of his features the still penetrating light of his cold eyes a queer premonition of trouble for a moment unsteadied her there was no mistake he said softly the door was locked even then she did not fully understand the position she leaned a little towards him it was locked she repeated i locked it he told her it is locked now securely i have been searching in your room for something which i did not find i think that you had better give it to me it will save trouble are you mad she demanded breathlessly do i seem so he replied there is no person more sane than i i require from you the formula of the new explosive which you stole in henry's restaurant eleven days ago the sense of mystery passed it was simply trouble of the ordinary sort from an unexpected source dear me she murmured everyone seems interested in my little adventure how did you hear about it i destroyed the cable telling me of all that happened only a few minutes ago he explained it was the foolish talk of the young inventor which gave his secret to the world to scramble for it was very clever of your informant she remarked to suggest that i was the fortunate thief why not oscar fischer it was his plot not mine the eyes of the little japanese seemed suddenly to narrow he realized quite well that she was talking simply to gain time madame he insisted the formula it is for my country and for my country i would risk much i do not doubt it she replied but if i hold it i hold it for my country too and there is nothing you would risk for japan from which i would shrink for america he laid his hands upon the table she turned her ring and clenched her hand she could see his spring coming realized in those few seconds that here was an opponent of more desperate and subtle caliber than joseph whether her wits might have failed her fate remained her friend there was a knock at the door you hear she cried breathlessly there is someone there shall i call out his hands and knees were gone from the table he was once more his old self so completely the servant that for a moment even pamela was puzzled it seemed as though the events of the last few seconds might have been part of a disordered dream nikasti played to the cue of her fevered question and entirely ignored them he opened the door with a respectful flourish and john lutchester walked in End of chapter eleven chapter twelve pamela's first shock of surprise did not readily pass in the first place john lutchester's appearance in america at all was entirely unexpected in the second by what possible means could he have arrived at this precise and psychological moment you she exclaimed a little helplessly mr lutchester he smiled as he shook hands nikasti had slipped noiselessly from the room pamela made no effort to detain him she had a curious feeling that the things which had passed between them concerned their two selves only so had no desire whatever to hand him over to retributive justice you are surprised he observed so far as my presence here is concerned 
I knew quite well that I was coming some time ago, but it was one of those matters, you understand, Miss Van Tail, that one is scarcely at liberty to talk about. I am here in connection with my work. Your work? she repeated weakly. I thought that you were in the Ministry of Munitions. Precisely, he admitted. I have a travelling inspectorship. You see, I don't mind telling you this, but it is just as well, if you will forgive my mentioning it, Miss Van Tail, that these things are not spoken of to anyone. My business over here is supposed to be secret. I am going round some of the factories from which we are drawing supplies. She drew a long breath and began to feel a little more like herself. "'Well, after this,' she declared, "'I shall be surprised at nothing. I have had one shock already this evening, and you are the second. The first, I trust, was not disagreeable.' She shrugged her shoulders. "'Without flattering you,' she answered, "'I think I could say that I prefer the second. I had an idea,' Lutchester remarked diffidently, "'that my arrival seemed either opportune or inopportune. I could not quite tell which.' "'Were you in any way troubled or embarrassed by the presence of the little Japanese gentleman?' "'Of course not,' she replied. "'Why, he is Jimmy's valet.' "'How absurd of me,' Lutchester murmured. "'By the way, if Jimmy is your brother, Mr. Van Tail, I have a letter to him from a pal in town, Dicky Green. It was to present it that I found my way up here this evening. I was told that he might put me in the way of a little golf during my spare time over here.' He produced the note and laid it upon the table. Pamela glanced at it and then at Lutchester. He was carefully dressed in dinner clothes, black tie, and white waistcoat. He was, as usual, perfectly groomed and immaculate. He had what she could only describe to herself as an everyday air about him. He seemed entirely free from any mental pressure or the wear and tear of great events. Golf, she repeated wonderingly. "'You expect to have a little spare time, then?' "'Well, I hope so,' Lutchester replied. "'One must have exercise. "'By the by,' he went on, "'is your brother in, do you happen to know? "'Perhaps it would be more convenient if I came round in the morning. "'I am staying in the hotel.' "'Oh, for goodness sake, don't go away,' she begged. "'Jimmy will be here presently, for certain. "'To tell you the truth, we have been rather playing hide-and-seek this evening, "'but it hasn't been altogether his fault.' Please sit down over there, you will find cigarettes on the sideboard, and talk to me. Delighted, he agreed, taking the chair opposite to her. I suppose you want to know what became of poor Graham. A sudden bewilderment appeared in her face. She leaned towards him, her forehead was knitted, her eyes puzzled. There was a new problem to be solved. Why, Mr. Lutchester, she demanded, how on earth did you get here? Across the Atlantic, he replied amiably bit too far the other way round. "'Yes, but what on?' she persisted. "'I went straight on to the Lapland after we parted last week, and only arrived here an hour or so ago. There was no other passenger steamer sailing for three days.' "'I was a stowaway,' he told her confidentially, helped to shovel coals all the way over. "'Don't talk nonsense,' she protested a little sharply. "'I dislike mysteries. Look at you, a stowaway, indeed. Tell me the truth at once.' He leaned forward in his chair towards her. An ingenuous smile parted his lips. He had the air of a schoolboy repeating a mischievous secret. "'The fact is, Miss Van Tail,' he confided, "'I don't want it talked about, you know, but I had a joy ride over.' "'A what?' "'A joy ride,' he repeated. 
A cousin of mine is in command of a destroyer, and she was under orders to sail for New York. He had the slightest right really to bring a passenger, as she was coming over on a special mission. But I had word about the trip over here, so I slipped on board late one night. Not a word to anyone, you understand. And, well, here I am. A more awful voyage, he went on impressively, you couldn't imagine. I was sore all over within twenty-four hours of starting. There's practically no deck on those things, you know, for sitting out or anything of that sort. The British Navy's nowhere for comfort, I can tell you. The biggest liner for me going back. Pamela was still a little dazed. Lutchester's story did not sound in the least convincing. For the moment, however, she accepted his account of himself. "'Tell me now,' she begged, "'about Captain Graham.' "'You haven't heard, then?' "'I have heard nothing. How should I hear?' "'I took him straight back to my rooms after we left you,' Lutchester began. He was in an awful state of nerves and drugs and drink. Then I put him to bed as soon as I could, and rang up a pal of mine at the war office to take him in hand. "'Do you believe,' she asked curiously, "'that he had really been robbed of his formula?' "'Those amiable people who were interviewing him in the chapel seemed to think so,' Lutchester observed. "'But you, what do you think?' she persisted. He smiled in superior fashion. "'I find it rather hard to bring myself to believe that anyone would take the trouble,' he confided. "'I've heard it said in my department that there have been thirty-one new explosives invented since the beginning of the war. Two of them only are in use, and they're not much better than the old stuff.' Pamela nodded understandingly. "'All the same,' she remarked, "'I am not at all sure that was the case with Captain Graham's invention. There were rumors for days before that something wonderful was happening on Salisbury Plain. They had to cover up whole areas of ground after his last experiments, and a man who was down there told me that it seemed just as though the life had been sucked out of it.' "'Where did you collect all this information?' her visitor inquired. She shrugged her shoulders. One hears everything in London. Lutchester was sitting with his fingertips pressed together. For a moment his attention seemed fixed upon them. There are things, he said, which one hears, too, in the far corners of the world, on the Atlantic, for instance. You have had some news, she interrupted. It is really a private piece of information, he told her, and it won't be in the papers. Not the way the thing happened, anyway. But I don't suppose there's any harm in telling you, as we were both more or less mixed up in the affair. Graham was shot the next day, on his way up to Northumberland. Shot? she exclaimed incredulously. Murdered, if you'd like the whole thrill, Lutchester continued. Of course, we didn't get many particulars in the wireless, but we gathered that he was shot by someone passing him in a more powerful car on a lonely stretch of the Great North Road. Pamela shuddered. She was for the moment profoundly impressed. A certain air of unreality which had hung over the events of that night was suddenly banished. The whole tragedy rose up before her eyes. The effect of it was almost stupefying. "'Gave me quite a shock,' Lutchester confided. Somehow or other I had never been able to take that night quite seriously. There was more than a dash of melodrama in it, wasn't there? Seems now as though those fellows must have been in earnest, though and as though Captain Graham's formula, she reminded him gravely, was the real thing. Whereupon, Lutchester observed, our first interest in the affair receives a certain stimulus. Some one stole the formula. To judge from the behavior of those amiable gentlemen connected with Henry's restaurant, 
it wasn't they. Someone had been there before them. "'Have you got any theories, Miss Van Tail?' "'I can tell you who has,' she replied. "'Do you remember when we were all grouped together around that notice? "'Mefez-vous, taisez-vous, les rayonnez, mais vous écoutez?' "'Of course I do,' he assented. "'Do you remember Baron Sonnier making a remark afterwards? "'He had been standing by and heard everything Graham said?' "'Can't say that I do,' Lutchester regretted. "'But I remember seeing him about the place.' "'You promise to say or do nothing without my permission if I tell you something?' she went on. "'Naturally.' "'See, then, how diplomacy or secret service work, or whatever you like to call it, can gather the ends of the world together. Only a quarter of an hour ago that Japanese valet of my brother's, having searched my rooms in vain, demanded from me that formula.' "'From you?' Lutchester gasped. "'But you haven't got it.' "'Of course not. On the other hand, Sonnier pitched upon me as being one of the possible thieves and cabled his instructions over. "'Have you got it?' he asked abruptly. "'If I had,' she smiled, "'I should not tell you.' "'But come,' he expostulated, "'the thing's no use to you.' "'So Baron Sonnier evidently thought,' she laughed. "'We'll leave that, if you don't mind.' Lutchester was still looking a little bewildered. "'I had an idea when I came in,' he muttered, that things were a little scrappy between you and the Japanese gentleman. She was suddenly serious. "'Now that I have told you the truth,' she said, "'I really ought to thank you. You certainly seem to have a knack of appearing when you are wanted.' "'Fluke this time, I'm afraid,' he acknowledged. "'But I rather like the suggestion. You ought to see a great deal of me, Miss Van Tail. Do you realize that I am a stranger in New York, and any hospitality you can show me may be doubly rewarded?' Are you going to take me round and show me the sights? Are you going to have any time for sightseeing? Well, I hope so. Why not? A fellow can't do more than a certain number of hours' work in a day. She looked at him curiously. And yet, she murmured, you expect to win the war. Of course we shall win the war, he assured her confidently. You haven't any doubt about that yourself, have you, Miss Van Tail? I don't know, she told him calmly. Lutchester was almost horrified. He rose to his feet and stood looking down at his companion. "'Tell me what on earth you mean,' he demanded. "'We always win in the long run, even if we muddle things about a little.' "'I was just contrasting in my mind,' she said thoughtfully, "'some of the Germans whom I have met since the war with some of the Englishmen. They are taking it very seriously, you know, Mr. Lutchester. They don't find time for luncheon parties or sightseeing.' "'That's just their way,' he protested. "'They turn themselves into machines. They are what we used to call suckers at school, but you can take my word for it that before next autumn they will be on the run.' "'You call them suckers,' she observed. "'That's because they're always working, always studying, always experimenting. Suppose they got hold of something like this new explosive.' First of all,' he told her, "'I don't believe in it, and secondly, if it exists.' the formula isn't in their hands. "'Supposing it is in mine,' she suggested, "'I might sell it to them.' "'I trust you all the time,' he laughed lightheartedly. "'I can't see you giving a leg up to the Huns. Will you lunch with me at one o'clock tomorrow, please?' "'Certainly not,' she replied. "'You must attend to your work, whatever it is.' "'That's all very well,' he grumbled. "'But everyone has an hour off for luncheon.' "'People who win wars don't lunch,' she declared severely. 
Here's Jimmy, I can hear his voice, and he's brought someone up with him. I'll let you know about lunch. The door opened. James Van Tail and Fisher entered together. End of chapter 12. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's Audiobooks.com.